Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I owe you an apology. I am so sorry that once again I am getting this podcast late to you in the week. It is about 11, actually it's 11.11 right now, make a wish, uh, on Tuesday night and I'm just now getting to record this. I sat down a couple times to do it in the past few days and I was missing some cables from my microphone and I'm actually still missing the cables, which is why this intro sounds a little different than normal. So forgive me that the quality is not quite as good, but I just couldn't wait any longer. Uh, shout out to my small group. I, uh, I went to the <clears throat> Tampa group tonight with Tiffany and uh, we had a, had a great time. And in our small group, we actually answer questions that Hannah comes up with about the message. And a couple people in our small group, they were not there on Sunday, so they hadn't heard the message. And they normally listen to the podcast, which wasn't done. And so I was shamed and I felt bad. And so here I am. (laughs) Anyway, um, this is uh, one of my favorite messages that Hannah has done recently. It's about truth. It's super good. I already did... A, um, a title whenever we first started where Hannah talked about truth. It was called My Name is Rufus and that's the Trufus. So I don't know exactly what I'll call this one. I'll have to figure it out uh, you know, between exporting and uploading it tonight. So you'll see hopefully a hilarious and silly title that will catch your attention so you can listen to this message because it is a really good one. Before that, I just wanted to do something that I did last week for the first time, I think. Um, I thought it would be cool to include a song before the message. Um, this was another week. Actually, the last two weeks have been really the only times that we've kind of had like a stripped down band. Um, so you're about to hear Guiana sing and play acoustic guitar, Lyndon on piano, and Natalie on drums. So it's a pretty chill version of a song called Threads. Uh, we like this one a lot. It's, it's by a guy named David Leonard, um, and it's one we like to do a lot. So enjoy. Next week, we'll be back to a uh, more full band sound, which I'm excited about. We can rock out. Um, Be on the lookout. We've got some cool events coming your way. In August, we're going to go shuffleboard. Make sure you are following us on social media. We are Diff Church basically everywhere. Uh, And go to diff.church. You can sign up for our mailing list. Uh, As always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of what we do. Uh, Let's listen to Threads and then enjoy Hannah talking about the truth. Open me up when 
excited about today. I've been telling people I'm excited about today because we are talking about what is truth. And you're going to know everything you need to know about truth in the next 20 minutes. You'll be set up for the rest of your life. You'll never have any questions again, ever. And next week, we're also going to talk about what is truth. So this week is what is truth. Next week, we're going to talk about a phrase that you have perhaps been beaten to death with by someone in the church called speaking the truth in love. And if you want to dive into this topic more, there's a very great book called Love Matters More, How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus. It's written by Jared Bias. If you are a book reader, you can dive into that. Otherwise, just listen to me because I'm going to tell you what he says in the book. So this morning, we're going to ask two questions. First of all, what is truth? And second of all, can we access absolute truth? So first, I'm going to go, can we access absolute truth? And the answer is no. Now, nobody freak out, okay? Stick with me. I didn't say there is no absolute truth. I just said we can't access it. We are finite human beings, so there is no way that you can access all truth. It's impossible. Even when we understand something perfectly, there's a chance that we're wrong. Or more likely, uh, we just don't have a full understanding of things. So here's an example. 
In medieval times, they had a very popular catchy phrase that said this, a prodigy as rare upon the earth as a black swan. It wasn't very catchy. <laughs> they were not very catchy with their phrases back then. A prodigy as rare on the earth as a black swan. That's the modern equivalent of saying when pigs fly. Why? Because it didn't exist. It couldn't exist. No one in recorded history had ever observed a black swan. Everyone was convinced that they did not exist. And the only logical conclusion was, there are no such things as black swans. And it was nonsense. If you were like, I believe that black swans exist, they would be like, you're, you're literally saying like a pig could fly in the sky. You're, you're out of your mind. However, black swans do exist. Someone discovered them and was like, I found a black swan. Everyone was like, you're this guy. <laughs> Somebody commit him to an institution. He's saying something exists at that. So they brought a pair back to England and like, look, black swans. For centuries, it had been absolutely true that black swans did not exist. And then it was like the absolute gospel truth. And then they existed. This may seem like a ridiculous example. This like seriously blew some people's minds. Okay. Um, I'm not saying the absolute truth doesn't exist. I'm just saying that we're finite and we can't access absolute truth absolutely. And this is interesting to me. People who believe that we can access absolute truth almost always also believe they're the ones who possess it. They're like, oh, the absolute truth is what I'm telling you. So if you don't agree with me, then you're just not believing the truth. And you know, of course, since we don't have access to absolute truth, only God does, I'm sure you know the barbarity of what our culture is gonna turn into, okay? There will be no morality. The age of the Antichrist has been ushered in. People will be having sex in broad daylight in a Target. Children who are five years old will be smoking weed, every child. Like basically just watch Mad Max Fury Road. Like this is gonna be the life now. Since we don't have access to absolute truth, there, there's no hope. We're doomed. The apocalypse is coming tomorrow. Or maybe that's just what we were told would happen. Like the church tends to rely very heavily on scare tactics where truth is involved. Um, like, is it true that if we don't have access to absolute truth that we're just gonna float hopelessly in a world of moral relativism and where nothing is right or wrong and everything goes no matter what? No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, um, Richard Rorty, who's an influential like postmodern philosopher, He's high on the list of people you would be warned about reading, lest you lose your faith. Uh, <laughs> he like, has dedicated his life to studying philosophy and relativism, and even he thinks it's ridiculous. He says this, relativism is the view that every belief on a certain topic, or perhaps about any topic, is as good as every other. Nobody actually holds this belief. No one holds this view. So relativism is this idea that right and wrong depend on the individual. Sounds to me like something a perfectionist made up. Like, if we're not perfect, then we don't have anything. That's essentially what we're saying. When we make statements like, if we don't have access to absolute truth, then anything goes. No, it doesn't. Even if you believe that right and wrong depends on the individual, I guarantee you, if I just come up to you in a uh, trophy fish and punch you in the face, you're gonna be like, I'm sorry. 
That was wrong. Well, how do you know? It wasn't wrong for me. Okay? Like, it's, it's ridiculous to think that we're going to end up in this world where every human is going to do what they think is right, and we're just going to end up, like, murdering each other, and nothing will ever be right again, and the world is going to hell in a hit. Like, this fear that we have been, that's been put on us from people that are like, well, you have to know the truth. And if you don't, I don't know what's going to happen to you. I'll pray for you. Like, we want to get to absolute truth because it gives us this sense of certainty and safety. But just because we really want unicorns to exist doesn't mean they do. I mean, like, unless, of course, they're like black swans and they do exist, and I just don't know yet. I hope. <laughs> I hope they exist. <laughs> but, like, just because we want the Bible to explain everything there is to know about God and faith doesn't mean that it does. We will never get the whole truth about everything. And certainly not in our lifetimes, but that doesn't mean we just give up on truth entirely. Like, oh, if we can't know everything, then we must not know anything. No, <laughs> no. Our lives are filled with truths that we rely on every single day. And it's just that some truths, especially the really important ones about God and faith and relationships, they're not as clean or as clear as we want them to be. Now the dictionary tries to help us out. The dictionary is like, you wanna know what truth is? I'll tell you. This is truth. The true or actual state of the matter. So helpful. So in defining truth, we use the word true, which we already don't know what that means. Um, so do we have, like, okay, we don't know what that means, but then it says the true or actual state of the matter. Well, do we have access to what is actual? What do you even mean by actual? And what do we mean by state? This is how you dive down like philosophical rabbit holes and emerge 20 years later with like crazy eyes and a scraggly gray beard. Um, and you're like, there is no spoon. There's only the idea of a spoon. <laughs> so, okay, we're going to try to talk about truth in a more meaningful and helpful way. There are three different senses of truth. There's fact truth, meaning truth, and wisdom truth. Bless you. Fact truth is where we typically start. It's the most basic understanding of truth that we have. It's the objective conclusions we come to about the world. Like, facts are what would be true about the world even if we were dead. We're not here. Facts still exist, right? Like, the sun is still there even if I'm dead. Facts is what exists out there. But how do we grasp these things that are objective facts, truths about the world? We have come up with two great methods. One is logical argument. And the other is the scientific method. And you can be like, well, those aren't perfect. Yes. We already talked about how we're not going to be perfectionistic. Okay? We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, they're not perfect. But they have helped us quite a bit. Like, the, the method has led us to smartphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robot-assisted surgery. Air travel. Like, I'd say we're doing pretty great with logical argument and the scientific method. Both of those processes have rules in place to try to keep us on the right path so that we don't just let our opinions overtake everything and we're like, well, that doesn't feel right. Well, the scientific method, like, you have to replicate, right? You have to, it has to be observable and replicatable and et cetera, et cetera. The logical argument, you have all these logical fallacies. You can't be like, well, if this is true, then this is true. Well, no, you have to prove it. You have to argue. But what about alternative facts? 
to use a popular phrase <laughs> that went around, or still going around, I think alternative facts come from one of three things. One, we don't want to do the hard work of applying the laws of logic and the scientific method to whatever we are presented with. Two, we don't have the skills to apply logic or the scientific method to what we are presented with. Or three, we are in some type of power, usually political or even church power. And we have very little accountability or motive for telling the truth. <laughs> because then our agenda will fall apart. Sadly, like you may think I'm being political. I am talking about the church here. We talk about scare tactics that the church uses. No, we don't want to use logic and the scientific method, not when it comes to creation versus evolution, because you are not speaking the truth. You're going straight to hell. That might be an exaggeration. But some churches say things like this. When it comes to fact truths, like what is water made of? We can't just rely on our senses, our intuition, right? We have to place these things into a process that we've honed and developed for thousands of years and then trust the process because the process has given us some great results. But laws of logic and science are really great. They can't answer questions of morality. They can't answer questions of religion. They can't answer questions of what it means to experience life as a human. They can answer how the world works, but it can't tell you what it means to live life well. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said, science takes things apart to see how they work. Religion puts things together to see what it means. Which brings us to our second type of truth, meaning truth. G.K. Chesterton, who's a famous writer, he said, fairy tales are more than true. Not because they tell us dragons exist, they don't, but because they tell us dragons can be beaten. The scientific method will never produce a story where dragons exist because they don't exist. But humans are more complex than that. We can understand that dragons can be a stand-in for something. It could be a stand-in for our fear, our hurdles, our challenges, or it could be just a really cool part of a video game. <laughs> I have a dragon tattooed on my leg. It's from a video game. Nerd alert. <laughs> okay, we're all equipped with tools to make meaning out of facts. So let's imagine like a three-car pileup happens. There's three people, they're all in this accident. The first person is like, well, dang. This morning I was in a hurry. I did not use my favorite coffee cup because it was dirty. I used a different cup and this is why the accident happened. He's a little superstitious. And if you think that's crazy, what about people who wear something specific every time their sports team plays? <laughs> He's like, this coffee mug, I changed up my routine. This is why this happened. The next person is like, I have been saving my whole life to buy this really nice car, and now this car is wrecked and everything is ruined. Like, I'm never gonna be able to afford this car again. Life is terrible. And the third person was not in a hurry, was not going to work, was just out for a drive, has plenty of insurance to cover the damages, is feeling so positive. She's just so thankful that no one was hurt. That's three different interpretations of the same exact event. The facts stayed the same. There's an accident with three cars. But what it means to each person is very different. And things get really complicated when we start talking about our relationships with other people. Like when we think about meaning, we have to ask what was the original communicator intending to mean? It would be kind of ridiculous to be like, what did this accident intend to mean? But if you're talking to your partner, it might be very important 
to know what they intended to mean <laughs> when they say something to you. And what about when it comes to the Bible? When we ask what does it mean, we're, we're asking two questions. What did the person who originally put pen to paper mean? What did they intend to mean? And what does this mean now to me and my culture? And our relationship with the Bible tends to be a two-way street. We want to understand what the author was intending to communicate, but we also want it to communicate something significant to us in our community of faith right now. Because if it doesn't communicate something to us, then why are we reading it? If we understand the intention, but it doesn't communicate anything significant to us right now, then it's irrelevant. If we make it significant without regard to the original intention, it's groundless. We can't just make things mean whatever we want them to mean, but that also doesn't mean that things can only mean one thing. The task of respecting the author's intentions while also finding ways to integrate the Bible into our lives in a way that's relevant and significant and has value is really messy, and that's why we don't do it. Because it's really hard. <laughs> like, relationships are not always easy, right? Does anyone have any, a relationship that's like super, super easy and you've never had any problems? Jared's lying. Uh, <laughs> not bound by rules, but by principles. Yes, you, I shall never yell at my partner. I will always agree with my partner. Well, that sounds like a terrible relationship. And that's also not how humans work, so you're lying. <laughs> it's not about, relationships should not be bound by authority, but by mutual respect. So... It's not about, when we think about the Bible, it's not about this is the only right interpretation that you can possibly ever believe, and if you don't believe this, then off with your head. That might be dramatic. But it's not about right or wrong interpretations. It's about better or worse interpretations, helpful or unhelpful interpretations, because clearly there have been some pretty bad interpretations of Scripture throughout history. There have been really bad interpretations of scripture. And also, there have been really, really great interpretations of scripture. Things that are life-affirming. Things that help us and move us forward and move us closer to God. So we don't just give up because there could be multiple meanings. It's messy. We have to put a little work into it. And how do you arrive on better or worse? Right? Because I could be like, this is what this means to me. And that might be a terrible, you might think that's a terrible interpretation. But is there a method? How can we know that what we're arriving on is a better interpretation instead of a worse interpretation? And this brings us to our last kind of truth, which is wisdom truth. Here's a popular saying you may have heard. Knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. <laughs> wisdom truth hardly gets talked about in our culture but it is the most talked about kind of truth in history and certainly in the Bible. It's also the most important kind of truth for our everyday lives. Wisdom's not about beliefs in our head, but about a life well lived. Here's another way of saying this. Facts result in knowledge and meaning results in understanding. Wisdom is about figuring out how to navigate the practical reality of life and what it means to be human. Here are some wonderful various wisdom sayings. 
You will never fulfill your destiny until you let go of the illusion of control. It's pretty wise. Here's another one. When the path you walk always leads back to yourself, you never get anywhere. It's pretty wise. Your mind is like water. When it is agitated, it becomes difficult to see. But if you allow it to settle, the answer will become clear. It's pretty wise, right? These are great wisdom sayings from various faith traditions. They're from Kung Fu Panda, <laughs> which is a great movie. I love that movie. Wisdom sayings are things that share good advice about life while lived, but also they resist our urge to turn them into rules. Wisdom sayings often require us to live life for a while before we really understand what it's about, which is exactly what happens in Kung Fu Panda. No spoilers. Wisdom comes when we enact meaning under the right circumstances at the right time in the right way. But I can already hear the complaints. <sighs> What's to stop us from being like everyone else in the world and just assigning meaning and wisdom however we please and just oh, moral relativism is going to take over again. No. Fact truth is guided by the laws of logic and the laws of science. Meaning truth is guided by intention and significance but what about wisdom truth? What allows us to say yes or no to certain definitions of a life well lived? What's our standard? What makes the Christian tradition different, maybe, than Stoicism or Buddhism or any other tradition? This is perhaps a too simple and too complex response to that. A life of love patterned after Jesus. This is where we bridge the gap between truth and love. This is why we, this is when we learn why love matters more than fighting to be right all the time. The Christian understanding of wisdom is where truth and love actually put down their weapons. And now they don't just become friends, but they become the same thing because the highest form of truth is love. Facts are what would be true if we were dead. Meaning is the spark of connection between each other in the world. And wisdom truth is personal because it cannot be true if you are dead, because it's a question of whether you, you personally, are living the truth well. Which is why any form of Christianity that sells you certainty is just a get-rich-quick scheme. It robs us of wisdom and it robs us of courage. Because the form of Christianity that tells us there's black and white answers to everything. This is how you love someone well. It completely ignores the messiness of relationships with people. Wisdom's not about words. It's how you live. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in what? Truth. It takes wisdom to love well. It takes action. Like in the Bible, there's no tension between truth and love because the highest form of truth is wisdom and the highest form of wisdom is love. And according to the Bible, truth is love because God is truth and God is love. And there's no distinction between those. Jesus is about the way you live your life and not the facts in your head. And I think if we are people of faith, if we call ourselves Christians, 
What we mean by wisdom and what we mean by love is shaped by Jesus. Speaking the truth in love, that looks different if you spend your life pursuing wisdom, whether, rather than just making sure you get the facts right. But does that mean the facts don't matter? Of course they do. Don't jump on the perfectionist bandwagon. It's not all or nothing. We live with facts. The question is, how can we go beyond facts to find love and walk in wisdom daily? The question is, how do I love someone well in this situation? And then in my next interaction with another person, how do I love that person well too? I think of, this is part of next week's message, but you're getting a preview. Like, if I have a hard day, what I really want is to watch some trash TV and like eat so many snacks and go to bed early. Like give me a giant bucket of popcorn and probably a brownie and like master chef. So good. I will just feel amazing if someone gives me that opportunity. Do you think my baby Nova would feel loved if she's like upset? I'm like, here's master chef and a bowl of popcorn. No, <laughs> wisdom is not giving her that. Wisdom is saying, actually, what you need is some snuggles and also maybe bed early, but like (laughs) something, wisdom is saying, how do I apply what I know about this relationship and this person right now to love well? Which is why if you're ever beating someone up with facts, you are not living the truth. I say you, I'm talking to myself too. Plenty of times in my life I've been like, well, this is what's right. Let me just tell you, because I have the handle on what is absolute truth, okay? And you need to fall in line. I'm like a little nicer when I say it, but we've all been there. Or we're all, we've all been in the place where maybe we actually did keep our mouth shut. Praise. But inside, we're like, oh, mm-mm, mm-mm. I didn't know that about that person. <laughs> no, wisdom truth is about being in relationship with people no matter what the facts say. And how do we love each other well? So we have two more songs. So I invite you to stand and we're going to sing together. And then I'll come back and give a benediction. And maybe just reflect as we sing on what kind of truth has been most meaningful in your life so far. And how can we move from facts to wisdom?